0: Uh, last week, we began a series that we have called Biblical Life Lessons, lessons that we can learn from the Bible on how to handle situations that we face every day, common everyday situations. And I found that the Bible can be very practical in a lot of areas. How many have found that to be true? The Bible is very practical in a lot of areas. Um, and we're using the, 2 Peter 1.3 as our, as our jumping off point. And the verse reads this way. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now, we talked last week about that and and the the phrase life. And I was was putting this together. Anybody ever shop at Ikea? You like Ikea, right? Anybody ever buy those uh, put together boxes of like shelves and stuff you buy at Walmart or whatever and you got to put them together? My, my wife bought me a grill for my birthday last year, one of those Weber grills, real nice grill, but it came in a box. Not put together. That's extra. Now, what's, what's the one thing that ties all those together? You got to put them together, right? You spend more time putting them together than you actually do buying them. Now, when I was younger and more foolish, I would just put them together with that, Instructions, who need instructions? And I would get about halfway through and I would realize that I needed to put one little screw in at the very first thing. I'd have to take it all apart and put that screw and then put it back together again. Well, as I was I was humbled by those things, and I realized, you know what, maybe I should read the instructions. And when I start reading the instructions, it it winds up Taking a lot less time and being a lot less easy or a lot easier than when I tried to do it myself. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, as long as you go by the instructions, everything works out pretty well. Well, exactly, that's exactly what the Bible is to us, our instruction manual. And the Bible means to us, if we follow the instruction manual that God's given us, your life will probably be a lot easier. Now, our verse says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. What? Through our knowledge of him. His divine power speaks simply of God's ability to do. Do you think there's anything that God can't do? Now, there's a the difference between what God can do and what God will do. Now, if you if you're, have little kids at home depending on how small they are, they will think that you as their parent can do anything, right? As they get older, they realize as a parent, you can't do anything. (laughs) But when they're little, which is when it's great, they they think you can do everything, they think there's nothing you can't do. But in reality, even though you can do everything that they need, you don't necessarily do everything that they need or everything they want. God's Word's the same way. God gives us everything we need to be able to weather every storm, every situation in our life. As we said before, the phrase, everything we need for life, is a pretty tall order. If God's Word says, I've given you everything you need for life, that's a lot of stuff. And these next few weeks, are going to be talking about that. And we're going to talk on issues in in the next upcoming weeks that are issues that are common probably to most people, if not everyone here. In other words, what does God say about your husband? What does God say about your wife? How does God say you should make your marriages better? How does God say we should handle money? What does God say about sex? That'll be a good one. And I'll give you a hint. God says it's good. (laughs) In the right parameters. Now, we've been talking on Wednesday night on different things that we face Mostly, mostly emotional things, and we're going to focus a little bit on that today because that falls under the category of things we experience in life. The first one is, or today we're going to look at fear. Anybody experienced fear in your life? Ann Landers. Everybody know who she is or was. You young people know who she was she was the advice columnist and she at one time was receiving 10,000 letters a month from people who people who read her article and they asked her of all these letters what is one overarching theme that you seem to get and she said without a doubt it's fear it's what people feared and fear for people can be anything and everything imaginable now first we have to start out by saying not all fear is bad Fear can keep you from doing dumb things. Fear can give you extraordinary strength in a a crisis situation. Fear keeps you in check. But a lot of the fears we experience are things that the enemy uses to keep us down, to keep us focused, and to keep us away from what God wants. And they will get a grip on you. Fear does if you're not careful because the enemy will put things in your life that causes you to fear whatever it is. And it's different for everybody. Maybe you fear going to the doctor. How many, how many like going to the doctor? Guys, how many of you go to the doctor when you need to go to the doctor? Nah, I'll wait, right? You fear what the doctor is going to tell you. Maybe you fear when your teenager is late coming home with the car. That's a legitimate thing. Maybe you fear losing a job maybe you fear just getting older maybe you fear the ultimate fear maybe you fear death i remember we lived in florida and, and it's, it happened once and it hasn't happened since but i remember waking up one night middle of the night cold sweat and i just had this overwhelming fear come over me i don't it wasn't of anything in particular it was just fear and and i started to pray and and eventually the fear went away But I can, from that instance, I can see how fear can grip you and just control everything because it, for me, it was just uncontrollable. I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it wasn't about any particular item. It was just fear. And I think the enemy was able to do that. And I think God is able to use that to show us that fear can really grab you and hold you if you're not careful. Now, the first thing we should know is that God's people are not immune from fear, Right? A lot of people raised their hands or shook their heads when I said, have you been fearful? God's people aren't immune from that. If you read about the, the apostles or the disciples, how many times did it say they were afraid? They were on the water a couple times, and they were, the Bible says they were fearful. They were scared to death, basically, of what was going to happen. King Saul, he fell because he was fearful of what David could be. David himself was fearful, but he was able to overcome it and defeat the giant. Now Mark Twain says and I love this verse he says courage isn't the absence of fear it's the mastery of fear. It's the place where fear and faith meet. So if you're fearful you're not alone. You're in good company. Others have felt it as well. But God says even though you have it you don't have to live with it. You don't have to stay there and be there all the time. Our verse says, God has given you everything you need for life and godliness, what? Through our knowledge of Him. The more you know about God, the less fear will control you. When your kids are small and they hear a noise or see a shadow or whatever it might be, where do they go? Usually in your room, right? Move over. I'm coming in. Now, them being with you did it remove the item for which they were fearful? shadow's probably still there. The noise probably still happened. And if it's like our house, there's creaks and cracks. And if you walk in here at night, all kinds of noises. Those didn't change. What caused your child to be less fearful? Being with you. Their knowledge that you will protect them. They know you they know how you'll react they know that you'll protect them and they and if little kids there's nothing you can't do the object of fear doesn't disappear but the presence of the parent causes the fear to disappear it's the same way with us as Christians the uh, the object that may cause us to fear may not change but the knowledge and presence and our understanding of who God is alleviates that fear And as parents, as your kids get older, you challenge them to do things that they might be fearful of. When your kids learn to ride a bike, the first time they're on a bike, they're afraid, aren't they? But you want them to learn, so you allow them to experience the fear, to overcome the fear and and succeed. Even when they're little and they're starting to walk, they're fearful of walking, they're fearful of falling. You know that they can overcome that fear and walk. God allows things in our life not to necessarily cause us fear, but to be able to overcome the fear and let that fear not control you and to progress to the next step that God has for us. God will always challenge you with things and opportunities and challenges that may cause you some fear. If we never grow, if we never mature and never do things that are outside our comfort zone because it makes us afraid then we're never going to be what God wants us to be. And we're never going to be what we want us to be. If we're constantly fearful about failing or fearful about something happening to us, we're never going to grow, never going to mature. God wants us to be able to overcome the fear and keep moving forward. We left our church in Pittsburgh to move to Florida. Fearful time. We had no idea what was going to happen. We knew that God was telling us to go there at that particular time, but it was... It was a worrisome time. After we got settled there and things were coming along pretty good, God says, okay, go back. like, "Ah." okay, fearful again, moving back to a place we don't know. Had we let fear dictate our decisions, we wouldn't have experienced the blessing we had in Florida and the blessing that we have here. If we'd have let fear of what happens or what would happen control what we were going to do, when we uh, first ordered our chairs here, how many like these chairs? you like these better than pews? For you guests, you like these better than pews? Our pews were, are rough. But as you know, we ordered these chairs, we raised the money, we did a lot of campaigning for that, we raised the money, we did our homework, we stretched out the company to buy the chairs from, and we ordered these chairs along with about 300 other churches. Little did we know that that first company went bankrupt. And we lost all the money we paid for the chairs. Now, we could have let that cripple us and say we're fearful of taking the next step. Uh, we, we blew it the first time or, you know, the, whatever happened, we happened. And our fear could have kept us from moving forward. But we didn't. Prayed about it, brought it before the church again, and we were able to raise the money and then buy the chairs. Why? Because we didn't let the fear of what might happen and what has happened in the past control us for what might happen in the future. Things that happened to us in the past, if they're fearful, they may have a control over you so you don't do that same thing again. I remember, and to this day, when I was in college, I had a Volkswagen Beetle. And it was wintertime and I'm driving and there's a car in the turning and I go to go around him And as soon as I was going around him, he changes his mind and comes back into my lane and basically rips my back fender right off my car. To this day, I am very careful when I pass someone on the right because of what I experienced a couple years ago. (laughs) The class I was teaching yesterday, was they were going through the Berean, the, the online course, and they were asking me all kinds of questions, but when I went through it, there was no internet, there was not no cell phones, there was not nothing. You had to do it by paper and on your honor and through the mail. And it was funny, there was a lot of, a lot of younger folks in there and they were just totally amazed <laughs> that you actually did stuff through the mail. <laughs> so, but things like that, if you, if you are fearful of something that happened to you in your past, it may prevent you from doing something that God wants you to do in the future. Just because something didn't work out the first time, what do you learn from it? Use that as a catalyst to move forward. Every case, God allows us to overcome the fear that we have been given, and we would have missed out on what God wanted to do in the places He sent us. Now, I mentioned earlier about kids knowing their parents, experiencing their parents, knowing how they will respond. Now, I'm not sure if the younger generation does this but all you folks my age how many of you have ever said as a child my dad is going to kill me and you knew that was a distinct possibility when you came home why because you knew how he would react or you know how someone's gonna react based on how they have acted in the past When we as Christians grow and mature, we know how God is going to act. We know what God's word says. And the more we come to know God, the more we experience him personally, we know how he's going to react to any given situation. That causes us, hopefully, to alleviate the fear because we know what God is going to do. We know what God's done in the past and we can trust him for what he's going to do today. When our verse says that we have everything we need for for life through our knowledge of him, that's what it means, our knowledge of God, our experience with God. What have we experienced personally with God to help us alleviate that fear? A couple of verses in the Bible that if you're fearful, you can tape them in your house. We did this for Hudson. We taped some fear verses on his, on his bunk bed. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God will go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor forsake you. Now we know the story. Israel was going through the desert 40 years and they're finally going to get to the promised land. Moses wasn't going to go. He was giving the reins to Joshua and they're heading, going over. They were going to a land that did not want them. And they were going to fight. And God says, don't be fearful. I've got your back. I'm going to take care of it. Deuteronomy 31.3 says, but the Lord your God himself will cross over ahead of you he will destroy the nations living there and you will take possession of their land joshua is your new leader and he will go with you just as the lord promised so now we have them entering the promised land ready to fight a battle that they're not sure about these guys this is the new generation they've never experienced battle before and now they have a new leader moses is gone or is going to be gone now they have a new leader I'm sure a lot of fear was welling up inside of them. And God says, don't worry about it. In fact, I'm going to go in front of you. And I wrote a question down here. Are you looking at a rough road ahead of you? Are you looking at something that you're not not sure how it's going to wind up? And fear is keeping you from maybe taking that step. Because you're afraid... You might get defeated, you might fail, it might not work, it might not even be God. Well, the Bible says that God will never leave you by yourself. Is that true? Is that a promise from God? Not a principle, that's a promise from God. He'll never leave you by yourself. If that's true, he, and he says he'll also go before you, he will be there before you get there and he will prepare it for when you do get there. The future is sometimes fearful because we don't know what's going to happen, but God says I'm already there. You don't need you don't need to fear what's going to happen because I'm already there and I've already prepared the place for you. Psalm 18:6 says the Lord is with me I will not be afraid. Going back to the kids climbing in bed with you. What happens when you try to send them back to their own room? No, I don't want to go back. They want to stay. Why? Because your presence with them comforts them. It takes away the fear. Psalm 118.6 says, God is with me. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. Your presence calms your kids down. God's presence calms us down. It takes away our fear when we realize that God is with you. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. You ever tell your kids, don't be afraid? Why do we say that? And we usually end that with, don't be afraid, I'm here. Don't be afraid of taking a walk, I'm right here. Don't be afraid of riding your bike, I'm holding your seat. Don't be afraid of doing this because I've got your back, I'm right with you. Telling them that and encouraging them that way, saying you're with them always, usually alleviates some of that fear because they know that you're there. And we say that to them. Why do we say that to them? Because it's true, right? We say we're going to protect you. We're going to help you. We're going to be there for you. We will protect them. As parents, we do our best to protect them as much as we can. And as parents, we all only have limited... Time, resources. We can't be in every place at one time. So as much as we want to protect them, we can't protect them always. But God can. God's always everywhere at the same time. God is nothing God can't do. So when we say that God is going to protect us, we can be assured that God has not only the desire, but the ability to do that. We want to protect our kids, but we realize that there's going to come an instance that we can't protect them because we're not with them. But God is always with them, and God is always with us, so we know that we can face fear and and master it. 1 John 4, 18 says, There is no fear in love because perfect love drives out fear. If you believe that somebody loves you, do you fear them? Do you fear what they're going to do? If you know the person's love will cause them to protect you and they will cause them to guard you and help you, you're not going to fear what they're going to do to you. And you're not going to fear what's around you. When we were kids, we used to go on vacation. and This is before all the restrictive seatbelt laws. We used to, when we had a sedan, we had a, a big old 98. And we used to, my brother and I would sleep on the floor behind the front seats. It was, we were small enough. It fit back there. And then later we would sit in the back of the station wagon with the seat down and, seat, you know, sleeping bags there. But we would leave at night, and we'd drive all night to get there in the morning. And we slept the whole way. And we didn't, we didn't worry about breaking down. We didn't worry about having an accident. We didn't worry about getting lost. We didn't worry about anything. Why? Because Dad's driving. We're good. And even though we, we did break down, and we did get lost. Didn't have an accident. But at one time we were pulling a trailer and they, my dad, I wasn't even awake for this, and i not how he did it. We were pulling a trailer and he goes down this one lane road. And it dead ends. And I'm, I'm still wondering, how did you turn around? You have a trailer in the back. How did you turn around? I don't know how he did it. But he did it. And the whole time my brother and I are sleeping. Because we weren't worried because Dad's driving. We got it. As Christians, Dad's driving. God's got you. Why would you be afraid if your dad's driving the car? Now, if you're awake and your dad's driving the car, there might be reason to be fearful, but if you're sleeping, you're good. When we understand the love that God really has for you, and sometimes that's the, big, that's the big catch. Because we read it, we know what the Bible says, but we really, you know, is it true? I know the Bible says God loves me. I know the Bible says God has a plan for me. And I can believe that for somebody else. But I don't know if I can believe that for me. You know, I can see why God loves this person. But, you know, maybe he doesn't love me as much. How do we know that God loves you? And if you look around your situation, you look around your life, it it may look like God doesn't love you. Things may be happening your way that you're not crazy about. Marlene taught about Job this morning. Job was, the Bible says, perfect and upright. He did everything right. And yet, I think it was you and I were kidding the other day. Lord, don't remember my name when you're talking to the enemy. (laughs) because what did God say hey look at Job and Job's like wait what <laughs> you know it's okay if God forgets my name when he's talking to the devil <laughs> well, look at my servant Jeff go ahead no I'm good I, I'm let me be anonymous I'm, I'm okay with that But how do we know that God loves us and a lot of times you can't look at just a situation in front of you to determine if God loves you or not You have to look at what the Bible says to be true. Anybody here a pilot? Anybody here fly planes? I'm not either but I know this one example. When you start flying a little plane you fly by looking out the windshield as to where you're going and you can see where you're going and you fly by basically what you see is coming at you. When you graduate and you become a pilot of a commercial airliner you no longer look out and see where you're going you fly by the instrument panel in front of you and you do what the instrument panel says regardless of what you see in front of you because if you strictly go by that there may be a mountain in front of you that you can't see because you're above the clouds or in the clouds you have to fly and totally trust the instruments that are in front of you regardless of what you see and when you do that you're successful if you simply go by visual it's not going to wind up very well for you and that's how God's Word is it may not seem visually like God's love of me at this particular moment but then you have to go back to the instruments and what does God's Word say about that Romans 5 8 one of my favorite verses one of the first verses I memorized it says but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners Think about that that verse. While you hated God, wanted nothing to do with God, thumbing your nose at God, God says, I'm still gonna die for him. I love him that much. He doesn't know it yet, but I'm gonna sacrifice my son for him even though he's a jerk and a sinner and everything else. I'm gonna sacrifice my son for him because I know what he can be. John 15, 9, I loved you even as the Father has loved me. Another one of my favorite verses, John 15, 16. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Wow. God looked down on your life as messed up and as sinful as it was, or maybe you think you were a pretty good person. God looked down on you and said, you know what, I'm going to pick him. And I've used this analogy before. Some of you who have been here for a while, you've heard it many times. I was never a sports kid, you know. I was never, am not a sports guy. And so whenever they would pick up teams, I'm the last guy. It's like, no, we don't need Bender. You take Bender. No, you take Bender. I don't want, you know. <laughs> no, he's a detriment. We don't need him. You take him. God looked at your life and says, you know what, I'm picking you first. I'm picking you right now. And in the verse we all know, we quote, Everyone knows it. For God so loved the world. And you know I I've, I've heard preachers say take out the word world and put your name in there. For God so loved Jeff. For God so loved Keith. That he gave his only son so that anyone so that when Jeff believes on him, I will not perish but have eternal life. That's the gospel in in, in one sentence. You know, a lot of times as Christians, even Christians, we think that we, we earn brownie points and we please God by what we do. And the more we do for God, the better we are with God. And there's a, there's a place for working for God and doing things. But if we think that we get more favor with God and we think that God is, likes us better because of the things we do, then we're missing the mark on that. Because the Bible says that God loves everyone the same way. How many of you have more than one child? You love them all the same, right? Do you treat them all the same? If you have one who's a very compliant child and they will do everything you ask, and then you have one who is an obstinate child who doesn't do anything you ask, do you treat them the same? And we're all laughing because we all, we got one of those, Right? You, you love them the same but you have to do things for them differently based on who they are so you mold them and make them and grow them up the way they should go God may use us and God does treat us differently he loves us the same but he will do things in our life that he knows benefits us and and I've learned is the, the the more stubborn you are the more God's got to get your attention And once he does, and you realize that, man, God loves me in spite of what I do, in spite of my life, in spite of everything, God still picked me. And not only the things that I've done in the past, but he also knew everything I was going to do after I got saved. And that's amazing. When you think of all the times you've blown it, after you got saved and God still knew it and God still picked you. That's how we know God loves you. He knows every mistake you're going to make, every time you're going to blow it, every sin you're going to make. He knows everyone and he still wants you. He still picks you. And once you have that relationship and once you really understand how much God loves you, the fear that may come your way will dissipate because you know that your father is driving the car. There's nothing that can happen that God's not going to protect you from. Amen? Amen? Would you stand as we close this morning? Would you uh, bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment? Every time we preach, or every time a sermon is preached, the reason that we preach it, the reason that we teach God's Word, is to challenge us to believe it. It's one thing to read it. It's another thing to really believe it in your heart and your spirit. A lot of us here have been in church maybe most of our lives, maybe you're here this morning and this is your very first time in church. You may have been invited by someone and you probably were. But in God's economy, there's no accidents. There's no coincidences. There's a reason that you're here. You may think you came here because you came here. You chose to come here. And while part of that's true, the Holy Spirit was putting in your mind that you need to be in church. The Bible says that if we're thinking about God, it's because God is making you think about God. And the reason you're here is because there's something that was said or something that was done today that God needed you to hear or see or experience. And the greatest thing that you can ever do in your life, the greatest decision I've ever made in my life is to commit my life to Jesus Christ. And all that entails is believing what Jesus said. Jesus said, there's nothing we can do to merit our way into heaven. We cannot work Enough to get into heaven our sins weigh us down the Bible says that Jesus came to pay the debt for our sins the Bible says the wages of sin is death if you sinned just one time that disqualifies you from heaven but Jesus loved you enough to come and pay that debt for you take the punishment that each one of us should receive and all we have to do is believe it. Not just in our heads, not just a, a factual assent to knowledge, but it's something that you believe in your heart. The Bible says in Romans, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And that's what transforms your life not a list of do's and don'ts it's not a things a bunch of things we have to do the thief on the cross wasn't able to do anything but he turned to Jesus and said Lord remember me on this day and Jesus says I tell you the truth today you're going to be in heaven with me it was a simple fact that the thief acknowledged that Jesus was who he said he was and that the sin debt was being paid because that's what Jesus said if you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship, you're, you may have been in church. You may not have been in church. But if you're beginning to think about eternity, beginning to think about fear, fear of death, the Bible says that Jesus wants you to accept him and he will overcome that fear. The Bible says in Revelation, open the door. If you knock on the door, Jesus knocks on your door. And if you open that door for him, he will come into your life. So the question this morning is, do you have that relationship with Jesus? Not just because you've heard it said somewhere, but did you really bring him into your heart? Did you really accept what he's already done for you? Simply by faith. Once you do that, the Bible says, you're a new person, new creation. The old person you are is gone, the new person it's become if that's you and you want that, you want that transformation, you want that new life the Bible talks about, you want to have a relationship with the God of the universe, I want you to raise your hand right now. All right, I'm going to assume that all of us here are committed followers of Christ. But even as committed followers, we struggle sometimes with the emotions we have. Fear being one of the, the most prominent. The Bible says that through, your, through our knowledge of who God is, through His presence, we are a- able to overcome that fear. Not in our own strength, but through our knowledge in the fact that God loved you. In fact, if God was able to die for you why don't we think he can take the fear away he can and we simply have to trust him that he's in control and there is no reason to fear when your dad is driving the car father I thank you this morning for allowing us to be in your presence we thank you that God you're a very practical God you're a loving God you're not a God who's a million miles away but you're a God who your word says is right here with us to encourage us, to bless us and to draw us close to you. You want the relationship with us more than we want it with you. So I pray your blessings upon each person here this morning. I thank you for those who came to visit and were invited. I pray your blessings upon them this morning. Allow them to really know that you love them this morning and and Let them know that we as a church love them as well and are appreciative that they came this morning. And I pray your hand upon their lives and their families. Allow them to experience your blessings every day. Father, I pray you would keep us safe as we travel home this morning. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring us back not only on Wednesday night, but every Sunday to grow close to you and to understand that you love us. And that's the simplicity of the gospel. You love us. Help us to love you back. Now, Father, I commit each person to you. You bless them. You take care of them. And you let them know in a way that they can understand how much you love them. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Have a tremendous day. Thank you again for joining us this morning. We pray that you would come back next week as well.